I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. We're diving into deep waters today as we talk about raising our children in the faith. Now, it's the summer. Summer's coming up. The kids are going to be home from school. There's no religious education at the church each and every week. And uh, maybe we have a summer camp we can send them to. Maybe we've got totus tuus or a VBS that can give them some uh, some amount of faith formation. But, but it becomes really clear that if faith formation is going to happen, if my child is going to have a faith life during the summer, uh, I have to arrange it. It's not as automatic uh, as it is during the year. Now, honestly, that's the truth all the time. If my child is going to have a faith life, I've got to be involved in it. I have to to uh, make sure that they are signed up for class, that I get them to class, that there's something available for them. But it becomes really clear in the summer just how involved we have to be. And the church says that we have to be involved to a huge degree. In fact, the, the Catholic Church says that parents are the primary educators of their children in the faith. And that's something that can be rather frightening to hear. It's a scary thing to think that our child's faith life is dependent on us. And that's only partially true because each person has to make the faith their own. I can't create a faith life. I can't make my child have faith because faith is a gift from God. I can't make my child uh, receive the graces of the sacraments because they have to be properly disposed. But what I can do is arrange for them to have opportunity. I can put them in a place where they're more likely to receive the gift of faith. I can have conversations with them that will help stir up in them the curiosity. I can put them, we can go to you know, confession as a family for those who have received their first confession and say, you know what, do your examination of conscience because we are going to confession all together. They're going to see me stand in line. They're going to know that dad messes up, right? Uh, I apologize to them when I do something wrong, but then they're going to see me in the confession line. They're going to know that I make mistakes too. And that's an example for them to own up to the things that they've done, to, to admit their sin and to then go and confess it. I know that if my children are going to have a faith life, I have to be a part of that. So today we're going to have a conversation about that. And hopefully we're going to take away a little bit of the trepidation, a little bit of the, the uh, it's daunting, right? It's daunting to think that I have to know enough to teach my children the faith. So we're going to talk today with Dr. Joseph White. He is a, a national catechetical consultant for our Sunday Visitor Press, osv.com, and uh, is also a child and family psychologist. So we're going to talk about how children learn the ways that that passing the faith onto them are most effective and what we can do to give our children the best start in the faith. As we approach this um, maybe a little bit prickly topic, let's read just a little bit from a document by Blessed Paul VI called Gravissimum Educationis on Christian Education. And we read, Since all Christians have become, by rebirth of water and the Holy Spirit, a new creature, so that they should be called and should be children of God, they have a right 
to a Christian education. A Christian education does not merely strive for the maturing of a human person as just now described, but has as its principal purpose the goal that the baptized, while they are gradually introduced to the knowledge of the mystery of salvation, become ever more aware of the gift of faith they have received, and that they learn in addition how to worship God the Father in spirit and truth especially in liturgical action, and be conformed in their personal lives according to the new man created in justice and the holiness of truth. Further along, it says, Since parents have given children their life, they are bound by the most serious obligation to educate their offspring and therefore must be recognized as the primary and principal educators. This role in education is so important that only with difficulty can it be supplied where it is lacking. Parents are the ones who must create a family atmosphere animated by love and respect for God and man in which the well-rounded personal and social education of children is fostered. Hence, the family is the first school of social virtues that every society needs. It is particularly in the Christian family enriched by the grace and office of the sacrament of matrimony that children should be taught from early years to have a knowledge of God according to the faith received in baptism, to worship him, and to love their neighbor. Here, too, they find their first experience of a wholesome human society and of the church. Finally, it is through the family that they are gradually led to a companionship with their fellow men and with the people of God. Let parents then recognize the inestimable importance a truly Christian family has for the life and progress of God's own people. That reading again comes from a document by Blessed Paul VI called Gravissimum Educationis. And here we see that what's most important is not necessarily facts and figures of a systematic theology or of two plus two equals four or or anything along those lines. Although those are of vital importance, they're, they're not something that the family alone can provide. Rather, it's living in community. It's applying the faith in our everyday lives. These are the things that nothing can easily replace. This is why we as parents have this responsibility to equip our children to be people of faith, to be people who recognize Christ in the world, who serve Christ in the world, who worship God, and who live a life of holiness. We're going to talk a little bit more about this throughout the show as we uh, listen to an interview I had this past Thursday with Dr. Joseph White who's a national catechetical consultant. He's got a great book out that will help you called The Catholic Parents Toolbox, available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Go take a look at it. We'll also put a link up to that on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We'll be right back with much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. 
Today we're talking with Dr. Joseph White. He's a national catechetical consultant for Our Sunday Visitor, OSV.com. He's also a child and family psychologist, and we're talking today about that tricky little line uh, that comes up periodically in the church, that the parent is the primary educator of their children in the faith. And that, that's a, a little line that has struck terror into the hearts of parents the world over, <laughs> right? We, we, we know our own faith. We know uh, the way that we practice it. But children have this uncanny way of asking the most piercing questions and of course, as a parent, you don't feel like you should be able to say, I don't know, let me get back to you on that. Uh, although I think that it would be a great thing for us to get comfortable with that. I, I agree. You know, I think that one of the best things that we can do for both the parent-child relationship and also children's development in the faith is to wonder things out loud with our children. Mm-hmm. Is to, you know, when they ask a good question to say, you know, I wonder about that, I, I'm not sure. And then say, let's find out together. And it can also be a great way for parents to then model for their children how to go about getting answers to questions mm-hmm. about the faith, whether that's asking uh, a trusted priest, asking um, uh, other teachers in the faith, going to the catechism, going to sacred scripture, helping kids know where do I find answers about my faith. And I think that's really important because my children right now, their, their go-to thing, whenever I say, I don't know, they're say, they say, well, ask Siri. And, and Siri doesn't always give, you know, doctrinally correct answers to questions. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, <laughs> what Siri's faith tradition is, but um, but yeah, and, and you know, the same thing, if, if we were to Google it, um, mm-hmm. we could find every opinion in the world on, right. on whatever issue we're talking about. Um, but uh, helping kids know where do I go so that I can get a sure answer that I can trust, I think is really important. Yeah, growing up for me, it was, um, <clears throat> we had the encyclopedia. Right. We, right. It, it was safer. There was a, a much smaller amount of opinions. Uh, so yeah. there is this sense of, okay, how do I, as a parent, specifically as a parent who did not grow up in the age of Google, I, I inherited it, I, I came into it uh, as I was older. Uh, how do I find really good locations for trusted answers? Yeah, and I think that's a great question, too. And, um, you know, what I find today is that many parents are, one of the reasons why parents don't talk with their kids more about the faith is because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing, or they're afraid that, you know, maybe they don't know how to phrase this in kid language. One of the places I would point, I know in the uh, in the curriculum that I helped write with OSV, and this is probably true about other Catholic curricula that are out there as well, in the the parent and family materials, we um, we purposefully created a little section every lesson that says this is how kids this age understand this concept, so that parents have the right developmentally appropriate you know age appropriate language to use with their kids, but they can also be sure because all of that goes through uh, the bishops who review this curriculum right. that that we're getting uh, theologically correct, doctrinally correct answers as well. Now let's talk about this. Um, this You bring something up that, let's say my parish doesn't use that curriculum, or let's say they do use it and they, for whatever reason, don't send the parent materials home. Uh, is there right. a way for a parent to access that, uh, whether, you know, the, it's not the kind of thing that generally pops into a parent's head, but whether they purchase the curriculum for use at home or, or find those resources uh, in, in a way that's maybe not 
embedded in the whole curriculum? How, how would they come about that? Well, I think one of the things they could do is, uh, you know, online, the U.S. Bishop's website maintains a list of different Catholic curricula that are in conformity with the Catholic faith. And mm-hmm. I think pretty much all of those companies that write that, um, basically what they're trying to do is translate the topics, the major topics of the catechism into child-friendly language. That's what right. we do in uh, in Catholic uh, curriculum publishing. And so most of those publishers then have websites that have sections for parents and families. And so it's a great place to go so that parents can be sure uh, I'm getting not only information that's been reviewed by bishops and others who, who can make sure that it's good information, but also developmentally appropriate information. There's lots of stuff on our website at osv.com, as well as I'm sure all of the other major Catholic publishers out there that do this kind of work. Now you're talking, you've mentioned a couple of times that the way children appropriate at their age, right. that this pedagogical idea that we don't unleash on our children every possible uh, iteration uh, of knowledge, we give them what they can receive. Just like when you have a newborn baby, you you give them uh, what they need. Right. You, you don't feed right. them a steak. And, and this is what God does for us too. God reveals himself uh, over time. If we look at salvation history, he reveals right. himself over time as people are ready to hear and understand the message, right? And that revelation, of course, culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and I think he does that in our own lives as well. And so we want to model that pedagogy, that way of teaching of the master teacher, um, you know, to, to teach others the way God teaches us. If um, only someone had written a book about that. <laughs> of course, you, you wrote a book called The Way God Teaches, available on OSV, which is fantastic and, well, and, and un, unwraps us a little bit um, to, to really get in our heads. And I love this, this idea that when even when we have the fullness of revelation, when Christ himself is walking among us and people ask him a question, very often, I would, I would venture to say probably a majority of the time, he answers that question with a question. He does. And yeah. we like to get into, well, let's get the answers. We're in this idea, the information age where everything has a solution. And sometimes the solution is, let me make you think about what you're wanting to get a little bit more clearly. Right. Clarify your question by, uh, by processing it a little bit more deeply and then come back to it again. I, I agree. And I think one of the reasons, one of the other reasons why he does that is because when, when, um, when we can form our questions well, we become much more engaged with whatever subject matter that we're looking mm-hmm. for, right? I, I think one of the things that we do sometimes with kids is uh, doesn't even many times even begin with their question. It begins with us just having this agenda of several different pieces of information that we kind of want to hand them. Um, and uh, I always ask catechists when I'm working with catechists, how often are you super excited about learning something when you had no questions at all about about it. And, you know, how many of you raise your hand when you're really excited and, and I never get any hands. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, but isn't that what we often do with kids? And I think sometimes what we need to do is help them experience God's wonder and goodness, help them hear God's own voice speaking to them, and then say, what questions do you have about that? Um, and then follow their lead as they form those questions. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Dr. Joseph White. Now, let's look at this from Back, going back to the parent perspective, mm-hmm. uh, I, I myself have seven children at home from the ages of oh, that's great. 10 to, uh, to 10 months. 
and they come in, in a variety of, uh, of learning styles. They have different curiosities. They have yeah. different drives and different passions. And uh, even a parent of one can get overwhelmed by this, right, yeah. of, of all the questions that they bring. Um, you bring up some, some great points about going to the USCCB, about using curriculum, but a lot of parents don't even feel formed to, to talk about the faith in a general sense. Yeah. Like we go to mass because we go to mass, quit asking questions. <laughs> it, almost as if we feel like we're being challenged rather than seeing it as an opportunity to, to invest a little bit in the, the formation of their souls. Well, and as the kids get older, we are being challenged sometimes. True. Sometimes yes. they're, you know, they ask those questions that are more contentious or say, mm -hmm. well, I don't know if I agree with this. I, I think one of the things we need to remember is that when kids do that, they're trying to make the faith their own. Uh, mm -hmm. And sometimes we've, we've got to struggle with these issues to dive deeper. Right. And, um, and so not feeling threatened by that, I think is, is important and realizing, Hey, my child, my, my son or daughter may be ready for a deeper relationship with mm -hmm. God and the church. And so they're struggling with this a little bit so that they can dive a little bit deeper. Um, there aren't many instances, even when they say something really off the wall, that even though our heart might race, our kids are not in immediate danger right then, <laughs> you know, so much as, as we can just kind of take the time and say, okay, let me pray about this uh, silently and, and take my time in yeah. answering this. Um, I think that can be very important. It, it, for me and for you, uh, we both came into the church later in life. Uh, I yeah. grew up Protestant. And so it took me 10 years of even contentious questions with my, with my cousin who was a priest uh, to get to a place where I was able to make the faith my own, the Catholic faith yeah. my own. And so even, you know, there, there's all these conversations about cradle Catholics versus uh, converts. My theory is that every practicing Catholic who's made the faith their own is a convert. Mm, right. Yeah, because we yeah. all experience these moments of conversion. Right. And so for us to live that life and including our children, for them yeah. to live this life of faith, they have to be a convert. The, right. cr the cradle right. is not enough to get us into sainthood. It's interesting that you should say that, Timothy, because um, the, the general directory for catechesis, which is our guidebook about how to hand on the faith to others, it comes from the universal church, mm -hmm. uh, from the Vatican. And uh, and one of the things it says is that the Christian life is a process of continuing conversion. Exactly right. what you're saying, that that we're constantly called to conversion and that everybody who's owned their faith has experienced and is continuing to experience that kind of conversion. That, that and, and that involves sometimes some struggle uh, to get to where we need to be. Growth is, is uncomfortable because growth means change, you know, and, right. and so there's a struggle there. Well, I think one of the things that, that a parent can do and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, is to begin engaging your own intellect in some faith formation, even if it's not driven by your children's questions. Just yeah. begin, uh, you know, the book of uh, Deuteronomy, we have that that uh, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It, it continues and says, these words I command you, uh, write them upon your doorposts and upon your gates. Talk about them when you rise up and when you lie down. This idea that somehow faith is central to our identity yeah. And it's a part of our normal everyday conversation. Right. But the only way it can be that is if we take the time to engage ourselves in it beyond, oh, we go to mass on Sundays. Yeah, yeah. And when we do get those tough questions, mm 
um, I think we, we need to make sure that we don't shut them down by right. by saying something like, well, that's just what what Catholics believe. And if you're going to be Catholic, that's what you got to believe. I think what that says to kids and, and what we really might be saying is I don't know how to answer that question. Right. But uh, but I think when we shut the questions down like that, I think we're saying we don't have a good answer for that. I think that's what kids hear mm-hmm. and that's what they walk away from, uh, uh, walk away with. And, and we don't want them walking away with that message because we do have good. I, I'm sure you had the same experience that I had as a Protestant coming into the Catholic Church, that even though we had these long lists of questions, right. the more we dive deeper into those answers, the more we found that the church didn't let us down. Right. right. There were good answers for all of this stuff. Um, and, and that's the message we want to give is that even if we have to say, you know, I don't know, but I'm sure there's a really good answer. Let's find out. Yeah. Let's, <clears throat> let's go look to the doctors of the church. Let's go ask our priest right. friend or our deacon friend. And, and this uh, I think is very important. Be in a relationship with your priest yeah. to where he knows who you are, not because you're the one who complains all the time. You, know, you want, you want him to smile when you walk up, know who your priest is, invite him over for dinner and let the children see that. The, the priest is an approachable person, that he's a normal everyday person and, yeah. and is a trustworthy person to be able to answer answer some of these, these difficult questions of faith. We're talking today with Dr. Joseph White, National Catechetical Consultant for Our Sunday Visitor, OSV.com. He's also a child and family psychologist. We're talking about you as a parent being the primary educator of your children in the faith Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. There's much, much more to this conversation. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking about that scary line that the church gives us, that you, dear parent, are the primary educator of your children in the faith. It's not something left to the uh, the catechetical leaders of the church. They're not. And, And very often, the catechetical leaders of the church are volunteers who may not have a whole lot more experience than you. You can do this, Mom. You can do this, Dad, uh, to, to prepare your children for a life of relationship with Jesus Christ, a life of faith, and a life that responds to that universal call of holiness that draws your children to be saints. We're talking today with Dr. Joseph White, National Catechetical Consultant for Our Sunday Visitor Press, OSV.com. Thank you for being on the show today. Great to be with you. So you have a connection. Uh, of course, this show is heard uh, not only online in the podcast, but we're heard across the Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting Network, St. Michael Catholic Radio in uh, in the Tulsa area, as well as Iowa Catholic Radio. You have a connection uh, to some of our listeners, to our listening area. Well, right. Yeah, I grew up in Tulsa, um, although, as I mentioned, I, I didn't grow up Catholic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and then I you know, came, came into the faith later when I was in Virginia. Um, but I also worked for uh, a number of years with, um, Bishop David Condorla, who was in the diocese of Austin and, right. and uh, now is Bishop of Tulsa. 
Um, he uh, served at uh, St. Mary's in College Station, right. the Catholic Student Center, when my wife and I were DREs at St. Thomas Aquinas across town. And so we uh, had a lot of contact with him then, as well as uh, in his various roles at the diocese when I was um, uh, family life director there at the diocese. So. Right. So we're talking today about being a parent and raising our children in the faith. Scary thing. Uh, we talked a little bit in the last segment about uh, some resources that a parent can go to, but there's more than just resources that's needed. In fact, I saw something recently that that really uh, kind of woke me up. It was a little wake-up call that said, your children aren't going to come to you and say, I had a hard day. They're going to come and say, Dad, will you play with me? And that through that play, they can process some of their hard day. And and I realized as I read that how many opportunities I may have missed because I was, I was busy and I didn't think that those interactions were necessarily uh, the most important thing at that given moment. And I didn't see the fact that they were maybe trying to process something. Right, right. Pope Francis recommends, uh, and and some people might have been confused by by his saying this, that we waste time, mm-hmm. quote, waste time with our children, that we spend time with them just playing and just goofing off. And one of the reasons why that's so important is that if we want to convey any important messages to them, if we want to have any important conversations or we want them to be able to come to us with important stuff, that's all going to happen in the context of a relationship that's built by these small moments of just wasting time together. So like you said, Timothy, there might be times when they really do have something heavy on their minds and they come and they ask us to play. There might be other times when we just have an opportunity to set the phone down for a minute and listen Mm -hmm. to a story um, or to do something silly with them. And all they wanted was to just check in and do something silly with us. Either way, all of those moments form this foundation that all of the important stuff is built on. Mm-hmm. Because they're not going to come and ask you the big question if they feel that you're inapproachable. Right, right. We we ask those tough things. We connect with people when we're having a hard time or a struggle um, that we already have a relationship with. Right. Yeah. So now we've, we've talked about the resources catechetically, but you wrote a book recently called the the Catholic Parents Toolbox. Yeah. And basically, it's, and again, it's available on our Sunday Visitor Press, osv.com, uh, or wherever fine Catholic books are sold, uh, that, that digs in a little bit more than just uh, the catechetical resources, but gives some ideas of how to accomplish building this relationship and, and incorporating faith into the home. Talk to us a little bit about what we can do, what are some steps we can take that begin to start us on this path of being the primary educator. Yeah, you know, um, I, I base that book on um, many of the families that I've worked with in Catholic counseling as well as in faith formation. And there are some common themes that I see. There, there are little things that come up, issues that are little annoyances here and there or, mm-hmm. or, you know, things that make every parent say, ah, what do I do about this? But then there are also some common themes in terms of how do we set the context for our kids' faith development. And one of the things that I think is often overlooked in our society today is the importance of the family meal, the family meal. Um, According to statistics, only just a little over half of Catholic families have really regular meals with their kids. Um, And and when I say really regular, like five to seven times per week. 
Um, but those family meals are so very important. Uh, Columbia University, the Center for Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University, every couple of years does a study on the effects of the family meal and compares um, uh, kids that have regular family meals uh, together with their parents versus kids that don't, that have two or fewer a week. And they find that those kids that have regular family meals communicate better with their parents they have lower um, risk of, of alcohol and substance abuse. Uh, they have better grades. They have higher self-esteem. And the list goes on and on and on. And uh, many of these things are things that we really worry about for mm-hmm. our kids. And also when we think of some of those issues like better communication, if we want to communicate the faith, we've got to set up those lines of communication. Right. Um, so there's, there's really something to the fact that Jesus did so much of his ministry in the context of a meal. You know, mm-hmm. when, when people get together and they share food together around a table, that sets a, a, a context. It opens up a channel for really good interchange between those people and really good relationship. Now, let's, let's push on this a little bit and let's maybe bring up a, a hard possibility or hard reality. Um, a lot of people... It's not that they don't want to have a family meal, but their family is so busy, uh, whether it be taxiing to lessons or extra game practices. I mean, for my five-year-old, if I wanted to put him in, in the soccer league, that not even the good league, just the, you know, the five-year-old soccer league, it's twice a week practices and a, a weekly game. So that's three nights a week yeah. that, that now we are, uh, I think, sometimes so stimulating our children because the, each one we put them in multiple things, that we may be missing out on something that could be potentially more important to their development than learning good sportsmanship. I agree. And I think what we want to do is is really do some really deep reflection. I think the answer is probably going to be different for each parent and needs mm-hmm. to be something that parents need to discern together and also with God. Right. Um, but to say, of all of the priorities I have for my children, what are my top priorities and what are the most effective ways to accomplish those priorities? We have good research on the effects of family meals. We have some research on the effects of organized sports and stuff like that as well. And I just use sports as an example. Uh, but yeah. we, we have, I think this fear as parents that if I don't expose my children and give them the most opportunities possible, somehow they're going to be missing out. Yeah. And, and I think very often, or we have the potential of over committing, not that, that doing one thing or putting them in one thing is a bad thing, but we over, I think overstimulate and overcommit them sometimes to their detriment out of really wanting their best ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I talk about this a little bit in, in the book. And, uh, one of the things that I talk about is helping kids begin to discern what, it, what are the gifts that God has given them? Mm-hmm. You know, where do they want to? One of the things we often say when we overcommit ourselves as adults is that we feel like we're not doing anything very well. Right. Yeah. And so if God has given your child particular gifts and talents, what might be more important than getting them involved in every single kind of activity out there is helping them begin to discern that and saying, mm-hmm. okay, so let's prioritize this and not try to do everything. Right. Um, and, and then also make sure that we're prioritizing time for the family to connect. Now let's come back to this idea of the, the family connection, because you talk about a family meal. You also talk about family prayer 
uh, what are some simple ways that we can incorporate prayer into our family life uh, other than sitting down and saying, bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts? Right. Well, one of the things we need to remember is that children, especially young children, are very concrete. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what they see and feel uh, and hear around them uh, is their reality. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things we can do is walk into our home and look around and say, if my child is learning and absorbing the world through his or her senses, do they sense God in this home? And what are the concrete signs of God in this home? I think a great way that parents can do that is to make a space, carve out a little space, whether it's a mantle or a little end table or something, that's just a sacred space in their home. It's a family altar that they're gathering around. And there are all kinds of ideas for this online. The Schoenstatt movement has uh, a great emphasis on on that home altar. Um, But uh, put a few sacred objects there, maybe a a battery-operated candle or, you know. Oh, no, the kids like the flame. Well, no, they, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're slightly more daring, maybe the, the real, the real flame, but, um, you know, a, a, an icon, a statue, a rosary, a, a Bible, yeah. uh, just some things that say, this is the sacred space in the home. And then when you pass that sacred space, um, you know, to, to, to say something to God, to say, I, uh, um, I, I remember when my, uh, little goddaughter and niece was, uh, uh, about two years old, I called my sister on the phone and, and my sister, um, uh, was saying, oh, she wants to talk to you. And so then my niece gets on the phone and she starts saying, and this is Mary and this is, you know, and, uh, and what she was doing was holding the phone up to the home altar. It was before we had FaceTime. So <laughs> right, I, I right. you know, I, w- I didn't, I didn't see everything, but she thought I could. And, uh, and the thing was that they had this space and they would come in and they would just come up and say, hi, Mother Mary, you know, yeah. hi, Jesus, we love you. Kiss the crucifix as they come in. And it was an informal moment of prayer, but it was an acknowledgement. God is present in this home and we mm-hmm. can talk to God. Yeah. And, and so there, there are all kinds of different ways. It doesn't have to take forever. And you can do a little five minute thing when you're yeah. walking in. We do it at bedtime. We mm. gather the family around. We got a couple of couches around our, our prayer space. The kids are transfixed by the the candle. One of the greatest things that was ever told to me was told to me by someone who was uh, in his last weeks of life uh, fighting esophageal cancer. Mm. And uh, we were visiting with him. He invited us into his home, and he said, "Do the, the family rosary." And I we've yeah. incorporated that just to whatever family prayer we can do. Sometimes it's the rosary. Sometimes it's Compline. Sometimes it's asking the kids what was significant about their day. But he said, uh, and this was I think important to me. Uh, he said, "The kids don't have to do it right. If they're wandering around, if they're not paying perfect attention, they're still in the room. Yeah, let them do what they're doing." involve them in it as much as you can. But, but I have that tendency to want, want the kids to do things the right way. Mm. And the idea that, you know, if they toddle around and they're not following along on the bead, that's okay mm-hmm. because they're still part of this family prayer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, venerable Patrick Payton, uh, uh, was the one who coined that phrase, the, the family that prays together stays together, the founder of Holy Cross Family Ministries. And, um, and Father Peyton really emphasized the importance of that family rosary because mm-hmm. the rosary is such a powerful prayer and because this is such a, an important family tradition for, for gathering the family. And, and in fact, if, if listeners are looking for some resources on the family rosary, Holy Cross Family Ministries operates a great website that, uh, that would offer some great resources on that as well. And we'll put that up on social media. Any parting thoughts for us today, Dr. White? 
I think one of the most important things is to trust that God has given you the grace to do what you're called to do as a parent. You know, God gave you this child as a gift, and God never calls us to something that we can't do with his help. Yeah. We've been talking today with Dr. Joseph White, National Catechetical Consultant for OSV. Go check out his new book, The Catholic Parents Toolbox, available wherever fine Catholic books are sold. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today, we've been airing an interview I, I conducted this last Thursday with, uh, with Dr. Joseph White, who's a national catechetical consultant for our Sunday visitor, osv.com. He's also a child and family psychologist, and we've been talking about the parent, you, as the primary educator of your children in the faith. If you missed any part of the show, or if you want to go back and listen again, or if there's a, another parent who you think would really benefit from that conversation, uh, have no fear. All of our shows, including this one, are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, and while you're there, if you have enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, well, there's more to the conversation with Dr. White available to those people who support the show through Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you get access to all the extra segments we do. We do one with every one of our guests each and every week. And those are available to you retroactively. If you become a Patreon supporter at $5 a month today, you get access to all of the content that we have recorded forever. Uh, as long as we've been doing these extra segments, those are all available to you. Just by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking that Patreon link, and joining those who keep this show on the air. When my conversation with Dr. White concluded, I joined catechetical leaders from around the state and listened to a workshop that he gave to us about how to engage families. And something that he brought out a little bit more clearly in that conversation was that the way that we parents are primary educators is not in a, in a systematic way of going through curriculum and making them do worksheets and dealing with a systematic theology, but really of helping them apply the faith in the everyday things, giving them exposure to prayer, letting them see the rhythms of the faith in our life. And so our readings from Scripture and from church history today are going to touch on that just a little bit. Uh, we're going to pull our reading from Scripture today from uh, a gospel that comes in the daily readings later this week uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's the Beatitudes. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. These are the words of Jesus himself speaking to the apostles. And, and I think that it's important for us, even as we contemplate what it means to pass the faith on to our children, because this is where it's at. This is precisely where it's at, is that we appropriate and understand and live out the Beatitudes. When we go through hard times, that we show them that God is faithful. Let them see us hunger and thirst for righteousness and, and the drive and the, and the action that that dr- moves us toward. Let, us, let them see our devotion. Let, let them see that we are peacemakers. And in that, as we live out the faith, as we live out and pursue that universal call to holiness, that will educate them in the faith. We become living icons of the faith. They see in us Christ, and that's exceptionally important. One of the most important things, and he he mentioned this in our last segment, is just to sit down and have a family meal together. Let the conversation periodically move over to the topics of faith. In fact, in in the book of Deuteronomy, I bring it up all the time. Deuteronomy 6, we see, teach these things to your children. It says, right after, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Teach these things to your children when you rise up and when you lie down, when you come in and when you go out. Every time that we have the opportunity and we can turn the conversation of remember how faithful God is, remember when God did this for us, uh, remember that we're, we're going into Mass and we can give to Jesus uh, our concerns. The thing that you were telling me last night at bedtime, how you're so concerned about this thing, why don't you offer that as your prayer today at Mass? And, and we have this opportunity to bring the faith into those everyday moments. And in that way, it doesn't. we don't have to be amazing catechists. We don't have to really be solid on pedagogy as parents. We just have to live the faith. And that's going to touch a little bit in our reading from Church History Today, which comes from a treatise on the Gospel of St. Matthew. By Saint Chromatius. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp only to put it under a bushel basket. They put it on a stand where it gives light to all in the house. The Lord has called his disciples salt of the earth because they seasoned with heavenly wisdom the hearts of men rendered insipid by the devil. Now he calls them the light of the world as well, because they have been enlightened by him, the true and everlasting light, and have themselves become a light in the darkness. Since he is the son of justice, he fittingly calls his disciples the light of the world. The reason for this is that through them, as through shining rays, he has poured out the light of the knowledge of himself upon the entire world. For by manifesting the light of truth, they have dispelled the darkness of error from the hearts of men. Moreover, we too have been enlightened by them. 
We have been made light out of darkness, as the apostle says. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. He says another time, For you are not sons of the night and of darkness, but you are all sons of light and of the day. St. John also rightly asserts in his letter, God is light, and whoever abides in God is in the light just as God himself is in the light. Therefore, because we rejoice in having been freed from the darkness of error, we should always walk in the light as children of light. This is why the apostle says, Among them you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. If we fail to live in the light, we shall, to our condemnation and that of others, be veiling over and obscuring by our infidelity the light men so desperately need. As we know from Scripture, the man who received the talent should have made it produce a heavenly profit, but instead he preferred to hide it away rather than put it to work and was punished as he deserved. Consequently, that brilliant lamp which was lit for the sake of our salvation, should always shine in us. For we have the lamp of the heavenly commandment and spiritual grace to which David referred, Your law is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Solomon also says about this, For the command of the law is a lamp. Therefore, we must not hide this lamp of law and faith. Rather, we must set it up in the church as on a lampstand for the salvation of many so that we may enjoy the light of truth itself and all believers may be enlightened. That reading comes from a treatise on the Gospel of St. Matthew by St. Chromatius. And in that, he tells us basically how to go about being the primary educator of our children in the faith, as well as a light to others. Simply this, to open our hearts to receive the light of Christ and then to reflect that light out onto others. Uh, reflecting back to our, our reading of the, the Beatitudes, to embody the Beatitudes, to hunger and thirst for righteousness with the promise that Christ will fulfill, that we shall be satisfied. And then as we are satisfied, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we receive from the hand of the Lord the grace that we need to live out that righteousness, then to allow that to shine out and to shine onto others so that they then can see the light of Christ and receive it and reciprocate. We, we make it very often... We make the Christian life too hard. Maybe we get a little bit of Pelagianism in us that we think that we have to put it all together. But simply put, we have to be open for the Holy Spirit to come to us. We have to receive from God the graces of the sacraments, to receive from God the promises that he has made. And we do that simply by being available, by putting ourselves in a place Physically, going to Mass, right? Going to confession, uh, but also putting ourselves in a place spiritually by putting our hearts, disposing ourselves to receive the graces of the sacrament, where we can encounter Christ, where we can receive from the hand of the Lord all that He has promised, but then not leave it there, 
then pass it on to our children simply by having the conversation, by letting them see it, by doing it publicly, by going to confession as a family, by having dinner together as a family. It doesn't have to be difficult. These simple things make a profound impact. That's all the time we have this week. Today's show is brought to you by Christopher Webster and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Get the extra content. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.